0: listening and welcome to another episode of the doom is dead podcast a show where we delve deep into the minds of doom's biggest heroes and villains our guest today well he's more like a superhero he's an incredible doom and starcraft speedrunner, setting the world on fire with his enthusiastic streams i speak of none other than king dime we had a really fascinating conversation and we actually finally unveiled a big project we've been working on for quite a while As always, Doom is Dead is sponsored by In the Keep and the Drowned God Catholic. It's not very often that I say, uh, given the length of time I've spent in the Doom community, um, but there are people that I consider to be Doom royalty. People that, yes, even I am intimidated when speaking to. Uh, We just so happen to have one of those people here on the show with us today. Thank you. I will yeah, I will keep the fawning to a minimum. Please welcome King Dime. No problem. It's great to be here. And of course, as always, I have Dew. Hi
1: guys. By the way, I'm not that impressed by Dime. We're just kinda of like
0: <laughs> buddies anyway. <laughs> and the mother load.
2: Dime, the last time I talked to you, you were deaf and I was mute. <laughs> it actually happened that way. I don't know why. That's all I'm I have trying to, to
3: say. remember. We we're both trying to talk to each other. It must have been in the Bethesda hallway.
2: We were in the Bethesda right. hallway. I approached you like an idiot, and I had blown my voice out, of casting, and you were allegedly deaf. You were like, I can't hear anything. My ears hurt. I, don't, I need to go to a doctor. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, but I was just trying to like squeak out words like, hey, I'm a big fan. That's all I want to say later on. And that was it.
3: Oh, man. I've been talking about that hearing issue for like a while now, but I just feel bad that that's like your first impression. It's me just, oh, can't hear you. Sorry.
2: What's going on? No, it's fine, dude. My first impression of you was watching you kick ass. And then like when I just met you in person, it was like, oh, he's also deaf. That must be really hard.
3: (laughs) Can't even hear catch up on the stage. It was kind of awkward.
0: Well, I mean, you know, for me, I was not ever somebody that was big into sitting there and watching people <laughs> speedrun. When we were talking about going to watch this, I was like, yeah, kind of on the fence about it. Not really sure. And I went anyway. Um And I just, I think I mentioned this to you, but I'll do it again now. Uh I thought it was really, really well done. I think it's definitely a, something that you have to spend time uh trying to not only um, demonstrate the ability to speedrun, the way that you do, but also make it entertaining for people who are sitting in the audience and watching and kind of the back and forth between you and the, the people casting it. And, you know, some of the tricks that you were doing, I found it to be super enjoyable. Um, so I just, you know, I thought that that was really, that was probably one of my favorite parts of the whole, of the whole QuakeCon weekend, actually.
3: It's awesome to hear because you put a lot of work into those events, but I can say like, Yeah, speedrunning is just a completely different experience than kind of what I was doing before, which was essentially like competitive RTS, is you're just sitting there at your computer and then you're queuing up these ladder games. You're doing 1v1 in Warcraft 3 or you're doing 1v1 in SC2 and you don't have to focus on commentary. It's just I'm working on a build order and then going forward. Whereas when you get to a marathon run... um, like if you have the best run that you've ever done like if even if you have a world record if it bores your audience then you've kind of failed in that respect so uh this is actually kind of interesting
1: so you started as a as a competitive uh RTS player like uh, the StarCraft scene and everything and how did you like kind of move to speedrunning because you did some StarCraft speedrunning as well, right?
3: Yeah. Um, after AGDQ 2013, I'd watched Railcoon's run, and he was doing the Wings of Liberty campaign in SC2. And I'd been watching like some different material on SDA or Speed Demos Archive, and I'd seen some Doom speedruns too on YouTube. Because back in the day, and I can't remember who had that Mario task, but I knew that video from uh, Super Mario Bros. 3, And then there was um, a Rambo Bones test, which was like 14 minutes and two seconds. And initially, I didn't know what a tool-assisted speedrun was. But I just thought 14 minutes and two seconds was the world record. I'm just like, this guy's insane. I could never hit that. But uh, later on, I learned about uh, like STX Viles runs, like his 2956 Nightmare for Doom 2, like his crazy five-minute run in Knee Deep in the Dead. And I think it was Henning Skogstows, his twenty-nine thirty-nine or yeah, something. I like think Henning Skogstow was the
1: like the record holder for the nightmare run. Like that was his baby back in the day. Like every time someone would beat him, he would eventually beat them back with like improved strategies, improved r- routing. Uh but then like uh Vile did that one run that held for a long time and then Henning it took him several years and then he like returned back with with uh, another record. but that was like the the last hurrah of the uh, like the old guard because uh, after that it was just several years of like drought. Then came like the next era which basically you helped kickstart, I guess because you kind of like arrived on the scene and like you, you weren't necessarily uh breaking those those records but you you did the you did the 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 first gdq doom 2 run right
3: it was gdq uh the plutonia and the doom okay, 2 run uh the plutonia the, the famous one <laughs> with with
1: yes with yes the, that one that run <laughs> um, so this is like the 2013 right this is Around the same time, basically. Like, you you just went straight into the community and
3: and started. Oh, it wasn't straight into speedrunning. Because, like I said, we were talking about StarCraft. But I had a friend Mm. in the StarCraft scene who is my Terran practice partner. Because I played Protoss. And he was telling me, like, we must have talked about Doom one day. And he said, oh, did you know that there's these special map sets or, like, mods and things like that? And I'm like, well, I haven't played Doom in a long time, so I'll go get, like, whatever they have off Steam. And he said, screw that. You don't want that. You want to go get ZDoom and go try this Um, (laughs) Scythe.Wad. So that was, like, my first experience back into the game is I got into the first two episodes, and Eric Alms, like, his level design and everything is just, really kind of mesmerizing and different from what you're used to in the IWADs. But then I got to episode three and I got my ass handed to me. I didn't know what to do. Like I got to despair and it's just like, I, I don't know how to play doom. I need to learn how to play doom.
1: So, uh, basically you, you didn't necessarily consider yourself a speedrunner, but you were already kind of a
3: streamer, not a streamer quite yet. I would say, um, <laughs> This so this experience in Doom would have been like more 2012. Um, so that would have been like one I retouched Doom after being a kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, so doing that, combine that with those YouTube speedruns. So after I was finished with Wings of Liberty, which I speed ran, is I'm like, I saw this other video by STX file, not the Doom 2 one, but the Plutonia one. And I saw like no further speed runs after vials forty-one eleven, and I'm like, just watching this run. It's got all the high tier monsters. It's got these new tricks with like file jumps, etc. I don't know why nobody does this. And then I delved into Plutonia.
1: Basically, you you started practicing that for for a full speed run, or were you all, always like, did did you have uh, the SGD uh, GDQ run
3: in mind in mind? Mm, i'd say initially speed running for a bit um but there was uh ah, this is going back um i think it was sgdq 2012 kubalwagon ran doom before that i did my runs yeah. so he did like a doom one a doom two run and mike uyama in the background was saying are you gonna do like final doom one day kubalwagon kind of baiting him a little bit and kubalwagon's like no that's too hard and i'm like I think I could do that. <laughs> I'm going to choose that game.
1: So uh, then you you ran that right the next year after that. Yes, and that was kind of like a big deal.
3: <laughs> um, there um, because uh, by the time uh, what you
1: what do you mean you by were already you were already like lodged into the community. So so everyone was just kind of like watching, hyped for the runs because that was n- never done before and then you kind (laughs) of had those several uh mistakes happen
3: well as as far as a run like i think being on stage and everything is just so different from your practice just at home because i'd put in i put in months and months of practice for plutonium right and i'd say eventually my like Deviation between runs was between 34 minutes and about 39 minutes at the time because now there's like much more aggressive, there's a much more aggressive route uh, Mm -hmm. that is taken. But my stage presence, I, I was very nervous in my first run, and there was like an air conditioning air conditioning that was blowing kind of under me at the computer in GDQ 2013, and I was freezing. (laughs) <laughs> when I was playing. So I had like a small excuse with that, but I would say it was being cold, plus just my adrenaline was flowing and uh, probably a bit of state fright.
1: I mean, because uh, you've been to how many
3: GDQs after that? Uh, one, two, three, I'd say between eight and 10.
1: So does it like get... Uh, do you have a routine now? Like, are you just just a pro who just walks into there and, like, it's, it's all perfectly calm?
3: Yeah, I go in with a much more calm demeanor. And my advice is to, like, every new runner that comes from now on, whoever I'm talking to for these events, is the first thing that you want to do, which this advice is really from Day9, who did the StarCraft dailies, which is when you're getting ready for a tournament or you're doing something like this, you want to practice in uncomfortable positions. So at home, I have like armrests and everything that I just relax and I play on. But in a GDQ, I just have like a standard chair where I have like four arms in front. So you want to practice maybe with your arms low, with your arms high and get used to that setting because that's going to be your marathon setting. Because if you can do your run in the worst of circumstances, then you're going to be far better prepared than you know, uh, playing like a king. And secondly is, um, kind of to make fun of myself. If I die at a marathon, it's not a big deal. If I die a couple of times, so what have fun with it. Don't get angry at yourself. Whereas in 2013, that was the case as I started like freaking out in my head, like (laughs) the world is crumbling. It's coming to an end cuz you saw my, my facial that's... expressions right yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: i think and that's the... what
0: i kind of enjoyed about the the quakecon speedrun was that uh like you you were trying to do something a couple times and it took you like three or four times but i thought it was going to be i thought it was going to be really really serious and you just kind of like rolled with it and uh you know everybody was laughing and
2: it was just it was yeah, a backwards a... rocket jump yeah
0: start. yeah yeah uh Actually, the, the
1: best example is probably uh, how you reacted to to the famous Barney the Archfile in one of those GDQ runs, right? Yeah. Where he just walked away from the door he was supposed to open, completely ruined your run several times in a row. <laughs> and that basically that's created your best meme on the internet, I guess.
3: <laughs> Maybe second best. Because in 2013, there's a really good one with Professor Broman on the couch, who is um, he? He kind of he was like a Borderlands speedrunner, and then he went into Destiny, and but he had a Hello Kitty hat on on the couch, and he's just all proud of me for hitting. I think it was the Neurosphere Archfile jump, and he was just clapping away, and then you just see me like turn around in disgust.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah because obviously when you have someone who uh coach who isn't uh closely uh familiar with the run they won't know if you're actually on time or not if if you're doing well or not it just looks like something is happening on the screen so does this happen a lot
3: uh on the GDQs Yeah um like the audience might recognize um You know, they'll recognize like a deathless Mega Man run, but for something that's, I don't know, 30 minutes versus 30 minutes and 30 seconds, it's not really going to be a big deal. They're going to be paying more attention to the entertainment value. Right. So do
1: you now go there with like a plan to have someone on the couch who will start the clapping at the right
3: moments? (laughs) No, not clapping at the right moments, but like... Like uh, the expert. The
1: expert who will notice everyone that, yeah, something cool just happened.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, Like this time around, I'm going to have Mythical 9 and we'll have Maddie Ice. So like I have like a Google document that I have all set up with not exact commentary, but just, you know, a flowchart that we can go through And with Doom being like a fast paced game that's trying to kill me at all points is mythical and Maddie at any time can jump in and take over commentary because in runs where you don't help out your commentators and they're not in line with everything that is going on is they now have to be a personality or a comedian. And now I'm not saying that um, everybody is just plain boring But, you know, there's entertainers and some are just more average in kind of a charismatic way.
1: Right. That's kind of like,
2: what's what's the word I'm looking for? (laughs) Uh, It's true of all commentators, though. In any situation where you're trying to do commentary, you inevitably at any point in time, you can tell when the commentator is lost or when they don't know. Uh, they're not just digesting what's going on at the same level as the people or person playing. So it just devolves into dick jokes at some point. And I'm guilty of that just as much as everybody else.
1: What I meant is that you're also a streamer. And yeah. the charismatic element there is probably much more important than uh, in the speedrunning side of, of your business. Because speedrunning, there's still like... it. It centers around the performance. The the rest is just uh, extra. But when you're streaming, it all depends on kind of like how entertaining you are. Uh, So how do you struggle with that?
3: (laughs) How do I struggle with the streaming side of things? Well, I made a decision that my money source would be from a job. (laughs)
1: So you you basically, for a time, you were a
3: pro, a pro streamer. I mean, I would, um, I never made enough for it to be, uh, cause I would say as a professional, you would make everything to pay your bills. Never got to mm-hmm. that point, but I would also argue, I think the only people that I could see really paying their bills right now with doom are probably, uh, Joel, um, Joel who does the mapping contests and Civi, But he's he's kind of like an all-encompassing all retro guy.
0: Yeah. Well, it's definitely not any of us that are making any money, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I want to touch on something that you brought up. Um, I, I find it interesting because, not that I have done speedrunning, but when it comes to playing competitively, I still, to this day, get kind of nervous before like an important <clears throat> an important game in a league or something like that. I kind of feel like you have to go through like repetition almost like so I'll open up say shoot.wad and I'll I'll load up the map with like 15 bots or something and I'll just see how many how many things I can kill. For me it's it's like just about kind of like a basketball player right? The basketball player has to see the ball go into the hoop and then it's like almost like you snap your fingers and you know now you can shoot. Um, so it's interesting that you, so you, you said you actually put yourself into uncomfortable positions and then you do your entire run or do you just practice certain things or how does that go?
3: Do the entire run. Um, but in like a presentation like that is, you know, that there's going to be a certain set of time, um, say for TNT, I've got 50 minutes. And it's like, if you've had a failure 10 minutes in, then you still go. Whereas in the tournament situation, I can see where those nerves um, still apply. Because if you're in like round one and you get a killer on the other side of the bracket, well, you need to be in your best form to have a chance.
0: Um, So mid-tournament, is there anything that you do that, like, do you get nervous mid-tournament or something? Where, do you do anything that kind of, calms you down from that like
3: applying to say back in starcraft or like applying this to speedrunning.
0: i mean either i mean if there was any any point in time where you were kind of under stress you you knew you had to kind of work your way through it in order to complete what you were trying to do i guess it can kind of apply to all sorts of gaming situations i think it's about preparation
3: um there was like local tournaments that i went to for sc and I still remember some of the players, but like you'd get in late in the day it'd be like 11 p.m. or midnight. And to keep your focus, you got to have some coffee. You got to keep practicing your build orders on your uh, side computers. But I think um, for the most part, like in a tournament, you need to be decisive in what you do. Uh, You don't want to get into like this middling nervous point where you're just unsure cuz like i would say in doom like um, if you're not i don't know aggressively controlling the map then like the other player can take opportunities on you and then if they get the kill then they have um they can go for spawn frags etc yeah but
1: uh, i guess uh, you can still play kind of like a turtling defensive play in doom so probably in Doom, you don't get punished for uh, extremely long periods. Like, if you, if you get this, this nervous moment in StarCraft, you basically lose the entire game, right? Like, you have lost some important stage of the game, and it will just snowball from that point on,
3: right? Mm, in Brood War, maybe less the case, like, if you've lost... A base and a long macro game you might be able to get it back but um in starcraft 2 there was a death ball mechanic where like uh, a battle could be over in seconds and you would lose a 200 200 army but yeah i know what you mean as far as like if we take doom versus quake like if you're doing quake champions or you're doing quake live is if you're passive and you have a strong stack then you're in, in an advantageous position whereas in Doom, Correct. like the guy respawns, he might have an SSG already and have the ability to take you out.
1: Right, yeah. Doom is a lot about the situation restarts all the time, basically. And you have to keep droning with the the same tempo for the entire game. So uh, speaking of Doom Deathmatch, uh, did you get into that uh, just on the side? Or have you been... Uh, following su- some something more competitive <laughs> in the history, I
3: watched a little bit of uh, or some Doom Deathmatch, Match, but like uh, as far as experience, it's just been more with uh, some of the Doom Twid folk in just doing the countercode right, the- initiative Death Matches, just hopping into Zendronum and then doing matches in, like, Duel 4, and like dual four etc. and I attempted to do practice for this QuakeCon that just came up, because I was going to join the tournaments. So I'm like, ooh, there's going to be Devastation and JKIST in them, so I'm going to go download Otomex. And I got destroyed, like, over and over, and JKIST kind of comes up to me at QuakeCon and says, like, yeah, a lot of those were my alts. <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, Jkiss, what the, what the hell? <laughs> so I was losing, like, 90% of my matches to you. He's like, yeah. That's actually quite common, uh... Before, like, important games that
1: all of a sudden you you see tons of weird nicknames completely destroying everyone. Yeah. And you just have to guess who
0: that exactly is. It's really, it's either Dev or Jekist.
2: Theoretically, the entire player base of all of these games, and Doom in particular, are like one-third of the size of the number of people that we see playing. Because they're all alternates for people who are actually good.
3: Which is uh, hilarious, but
0: um, unfortunate. unfortunate. Yeah, unfortunate too. Not good for your self esteem, I guess. Nope. Well, I, I also I practiced against Jakeist and, and Dev quite a bit leading up to QuakeCon, and I probably shouldn't have played only because there was just no chance of me ever winning with them playing. But I did it anyway. Um, and I just remember there was there was one game where I was practicing against Jakeist. Um, and he was beating me probably by 10 or 15. And I think I went on like a six frag run or something. And he still won, but he was like, good job. Oh, I, I just felt like a child, you know, <laughs> I'd just been beaten <laughs> down. And he was just like, good job, you know, keep playing me. I still, I, I need people to beat up. Gave you that,
1: that chance then took it away at the end, but it gave you new motivation.
0: <laughs>
3: oh, it's just full of positivity. And it's just like... Well done. Nice try. And it's like you're looking at the scoreboard 50 to 15. Just like, <laughs> rematch. Yeah, there's been uh, like uh,
1: a long debate if, if it's actually better to like play against uh, really good players who will keep destroying you and like they build your perseverance that you have to just keep trying, keep trying, and you learn from them. Or if you should play with, like, start with someone who's maybe just a notch above you, so you actually—it's uh, not about you having a chance to win, but to actually play the game and not just, you know, hit respawn. <laughs> and I, I, think the latter is actually much more better for new players.
0: Well, for for brand new players, you mean people that are—I uh, mean, for example, playing against someone more along the level of their skill. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I would agree with that because you don't. That's that's an easy way to get really dis uh, disheartened from playing something. As um, when you're brand new, you don't want to go up against somebody that's going to destroy you. Uh, Fifty to negative four, which happened yeah. to me a couple times, especially on Doom Two Map One, um, and that's also
1: the typical Quake experience for every new player
3: like 23 to minus t- 2 like
1: how did that happen
3: <laughs> and you you go into quake and this is that's your first game it's 23 to minus 10 to 2 so let's say i'm playing crankdud in the community who is apparently a legend at like all games he plays like really good at rts great at mystery speedrunning fantastic doom speedrunner and also very good at quake and it's like you Go back to the drawing board. You listen to some rocky, you know, music montages, and then you come back three months later after you know working up your rating. It's like cranked it, ready for the rematch. Let's go, bitch! Twenty-three to minus two. <laughs> I quit.
0: I'm done. That's funny because you know I used to when I would get into these big games like a finals or something. I'd be like, "Okay, I'm going to I had sort of a ritual. I was like, all right, I'm going to play uh, Beat It by Michael Jackson, right? It's kind of a it's a song that that pumps you up and gets you excited about stuff. I lost every single time. Maybe you. Maybe. Well, okay, that's a different discussion, but I lost every single time I listened to that song. And then I stopped listening to it and I started winning. <laughs> and I don't know if that's some sort of karmic thing happening in the universe, but
1: I remember I played my uh, most intense dwango 5 map one uh, match and I like I played uh, this uh, doom metal really long 20 minute long song and I'm like it should be about the length of the match and then I had to just like you know jump out of the game really quickly and just hit it to play over again because the match actually ended up being
0: 55 minutes. Going back to the uh, to the beginning your, your sort of beginnings uh, as a gamer um, was Starcraft kind of your first thing that you were sort of obsessed with or were there games before that that kind of led you into that?
3: Um, as a family we had uh, we had a PC and a Sega Genesis and I'm I can't remember what uh, PC we had but I know my we had the shareware for doom and we had Wolfenstein 3d. So I'd played both of those, cheated a lot in Doom, because as a kid, I think um, none of us have any shame in cheating.
2: Now you're like a professional Doom cheater, like almost in some aspects, like figuring out ways to cheat the game in general. That's amazing. That's my middle name. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah.
3: The YouTube <laughs> crazies are always on top of us using glitches, and they're making sure we know. It's like, you're You're cheating. Do you know that um, if you different types, yeah. <laughs> but on the Genesis, I was um, super into Sonic Two, Sonic Three, and Knuckles, and a crappy Batman game called Batman Forever mm-hmm. that I later learned was panned everywhere. But it was Batman.
2: Uh, Dime, I just wanted to kind of like I feel like we've talked the entire interview assuming that everyone coming into this knows who you and the rest of us are. And I feel like sometimes that could be a mistake because there will inevitably be people who come to this or find out about this who are not quite aware of your history. And what I'm wondering is, what is it that happened? Because you, you did just get on a little bit of a tangent about you know the games that you played as a child. What in your upbringing caused you to be such an obsessive freak? that you would sit down and be- become like, so <laughs> such an expert at multiple different games. Like what makes you want to, what drives you to do what you do.
3: Jeez. I was feeling we we're getting to an autistic joke about speed Is there. Um,
2: <laughs> no, I mean, maybe, but that's, that's for you to say, not me.
3: <laughs> oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Like in my friend group, when I was young, like often they would put me to the side. They'd be like, Dime, you're too good at games and you keep beating us all. So let us have a turn. Let us take a chance. So, like, that kind of happened to me all the time throughout pretty much like whatever console game we're playing. Or, um, mm. I think there was like R Type, one of these screen scrolling shooters, or Goldeneye, or whatever. Um, but later on, I was just kind of getting into the competitive scene. And, um, So there was, I'd say, three different sources for that. The first would be getting into Warcraft 3, is there was this Warcraft 3 replay site. And on there, there was Four Four Kings Grubby, who I really got into, because I played Orc and he played Orc. So I'd watch replays all the time. And this was a professional player. Like I think everybody knows Grubby, if they've been into RTS in any sense. (laughs) But like you're watching someone do like optimized build orders and everything. And then like me, myself, I'm copying that and trying to get to that same level. And then you sort of take that to StarCraft 2 where you're getting um, the like the boon of live streaming. Uh, there was like Ustream, live stream, and then Twitch TV came out. So everybody was watching um, different uh like the day nine daily learning about the game and just what different streamers did. So I think it was uh, easier for us all to um, learn how to research and to like really break down the games and play it at the highest level that we can. Mm -hmm. And then um, in Doom, we had... Uh, games done quick and SDA, et cetera. So I I took everything that I learned from those experiences. Like it, it, it came from RTS and then I put that into what I do for Doom.
1: It's still kind of uh, like uh, interesting that you actually ran into Doom uh, through speedrunning because uh, by that time, Doom speedrunning was still not at all integrated into the like... The greater world of speedrunning—it was always kind of like at the side. It still is. It's like its own entity, its own world, its own scene. But nowadays, like more people are like traversing between those two worlds.
2: It it seems like Doom speedrunning would be obvious, right? Because it's built into the game. Like beat John Romero's time in the game. Beat the part time. It's right there on the screen.
1: but you don't have the demos on the archives. You don't have di- didn't used to have the demos on, on right. YouTube. It was just uh, bits and pieces, basically, and you have to delve into uh, like the cryptic sites of Doom scene, and then everything opens for you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> for all the advantages of demos, is that was a I'd say it was a disadvantage on the streaming side of things because you could do all of your speed running outside of this these new streaming communities that are popping up and you could do everything within Doomworld. So you'd be at your keyboard, you would complete your demo and then you would post it on Doomworld. You don't have to really care what anybody else is doing. So whereas now it's more integrated, that was like one of the reasons that I created that streaming thread on doom world is to just try and get more eyes on this new scene because now we don't just see the end product of the demo yeah. is you get to see like maybe mr zool or Shockblast or looper do uh their attempts like mm-hmm. what happens uh from start to finish in the process of uh building a speedrun?
2: i but think yeah. that may be your greatest contribution Ultimately, because I agree with you wholeheartedly about the demo not just in doom but demos in general, like while they're amazing and awesome are all like simultaneously they do create that barrier where it's like there there has been for all these years no reason for anyone to actually record anything and upload it to YouTube or when they do like you, you know go back and watch I just recently did an interview with Machiavelli, right quake two matches that are just demos from one person's perspective with no commentary. You don't know what the players are actually doing or talking about. It's just, we lose an entire part of history as a result of that.
1: Right, yeah. And Dime yeah. was the pioneer, kind of the pioneer, one of the pioneers around the 2013 mark, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he he also pioneered uh, kind of bringing RTA speedrunning to Doom, right? Because that's not how we do it. <laughs> that's not how we do it normally but that's how it's done uh, at the gdqs right so you've been doing those runs uh on uh on your streams so so can you kind of like comment on on the difference between like that and the hardcore pure doom speedrunning
3: um well RTA is uh I think it's a more simplistic design for learning a run. Cause if you're just right away, Oh, you need to do uh, something that single segment so that you can successfully be put on a list is okay. You go into doom two and to complete a single segment is you have to finish all of those levels in a row, uh, like without dying. And that's a big hurdle for a new player to come across. Whereas RTA, since you're able to, um, save at any point is someone can start with say a two hour doom 2 run and then, uh, just kind of maybe decrease their saves or, you know, just learn from there instead of getting to, uh, almost being a complete pro with the game before you can start speed running. Um,
1: And another uh, revolutionary thing (laughs) you did during streaming, I should also mention, uh, is the ill-fated evolution of Doom. (laughs) Can you talk about that? Evolution of the water. Oh, oh, the water. water. Right, yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that was was like a streaming gimmick where uh, we were attempting to go from 1994... And kind of doing it like the CAC awards, but like um, instead doing a reference to like the evolution of mapping and then using those examples and going through every year. And I don't know, this went on for maybe six months and we had different guests on the stream. It could be like Do or Rock King or Tarnsman or Alfonso Jimmy and et cetera. And we only ended up getting to Batman Doom, but it was just like a retrospective on uh, just trying to go through level design and then seeing where it went. Right. There was a uh, a huge mistake sometimes being made that
1: you didn't know the maps prior to playing them, right? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. And it ended up <laughs> just getting lost for hours.
2: <laughs> I think that the uh, the ideal way to do that is to have the person who created it kind of explain their intent, you know, as well. If you could do that simultaneously.
1: Yeah, but this was like mid-90s yeah. words. Those people are gone. Dead. <laughs> Most likely some of them.
2: <laughs> oh, too morbid. <laughs> and I, I just want to say like a typical Motherlode fashion, I got to dip out uh, halfway through. The but I uh, love you guys, Dime, uh, big fan, and I will try to get with you sometime in the future. Kisses. Awesome. Later,
3: man. Mother Yep. So, should we jump to the the tournament thing? I think we should. I, can I put something else about RTA though?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. This I think, will get, so
3: I lose just, my train of thought all the time. Uh-huh. Like I just rant, and I'm like, oh, I can't think of the words or anything. Um, but like going back to the RTA topic is uh, one thing about the difference between Doom 1 and Doom 2, is Doom 1 is episodic. And if you press escape when you're changing between the episodes, it breaks your demo. So the RTA has the advantage in that we can use this as a marathon run with this format, but in a single segment, it's technically broken.
1: Yeah, and one thing I really like about uh, watching all these RTAs, like those you have the HUD on, on, on your on your streaming screen. Like uh, you have the checkpoint times. And I mean, you technically do get checkpoint times into, simply by it, it shows you what the time is on the intermission screen. But like you don't have the comparison to your personal best uh, with like the, the green numbers and the red numbers. That's <laughs> something I find incredibly neat. And that's something you don't get in pure doom speedrunning
3: yeah if you're watching it to the side you can bring up the demo and see what's going on with the final time but just using these programs like live split or there used to be uh w split that i recall from speedruns live um and then as you're going through your splits you would create like here we've got the hangar, uh the nuclear plant the toxin refinery And then say the hanger takes you an average of 13 seconds. If you get like 12.5, it'd be a green split. But if you got like 14 seconds on hanger, it'd be a red split. And right away, your audience knows like where this run lies on the spectrum.
1: Yeah, I I hope we actually like uh, maybe I hope we didn't skip explaining anything important. Otherwise, it's just
3: technical mumbo jumbo. (laughs) We'll see. I'm trying to figure out how to go about this one. Well, I have to be excited about it. <laughs> I'm not
0: naturally an excited. Not neither am no. I, which I, is probably bad for a host of a quote unquote podcast. But uh, so I'm guessing you had the idea for something following QuakeCon and uh, the tournament that was held there. There were well, there were several tournaments, but uh, specifically a dual tournament, right? You wanted to run something that maybe included um, some maps that were different from the usual maps that everyone plays? Well, the idea is in
3: the 20th anniversary Doom tournament at QuakeCon is we saw kind of some of those classic maps like uh, Dwango 5, the Dead Simple map, um, Judas, King 1. And so on. And then at the tournament this year in QuakeCon in 2019, it looked like the map list, like at least specifically for dual. I didn't see what was going on for FFA. Was the um kind of the exact same map list. Yeah,
1: they're the like the, the golden classics, and they will they will always be there. And like if you uh ask the top players, they will always pummel you with the same maps. It's, they've just been a,
0: a staple for 25 years by now. <laughs> well, I think what we discovered as <clears throat> people that often run events and also just as players is that I'm not sure that there was really any uh, direction that they went in in uh, choosing these maps, not just for Duel, but also for the FFA. So they kind of repeated, like you said, they repeated the maps that they used the last time in, in the sense that they used some classic maps um, and I, I think they needed a modern touch and with
3: that idea of <laughs> I lost myself
0: <laughs> so you, no, have, you you have you, you came up with the, the idea to run a dual tournament using maps from different eras so we had some maps that you chose from the 90s you had some maps that we chose from the early 2000s, mid-2000s, and also the 2010s.
3: Oh boy, we have to unleash this. The cat is out of the hat. But yes, after QuakeCon, I wanted there to be maybe another tournament that kind of made use of some of these newer maps and maybe, uh, like, use some of the older maps, but also combined it with the new. So... With that, I want to officially announce a Doom Duel tournament called King Dimes Take the Crown Duel Tournament, uh, which will have a prize pool. Right now, that's uh, $1,500 USD, and right now we're looking at tournament dates that are going to be occurring in February and March. Uh, Currently, we have that on Saturdays, but there would be uh, four different qualifiers that would Uh, take place starting on February 15th. And then there would be uh, 16 players that qualify out of those into a final bracket on March 14th to crown the eventual champion. The port will be
1: Zendronum. That is a critical information for the community staples. It probably doesn't matter for anyone who's listening to this and doesn't care about different Doom ports, but yeah, it's going to be Zendronum for the, the easiness of of setting everything up.
0: Yes. Yes. And so the idea behind the qualifiers is so um, you know you have you have four separate chances basically to qualify for the for the big tournament. And I know that <clears throat> you know, the reason behind announcing it now is it's gonna give you a month, month and a half, almost two months, to kind of get get going and and start practicing and and start playing the maps um like we talked about we we dime and I sat through and I mean really he picked the maps uh, we went through a wad and we tried to pick some maps that um, went through different eras so I mean I think they I think that that's a valid way to to go about it I think you can't just rely on the classic map styles I think that uh multiplayer doom has evolved since 1994. Um, so there's different there's different mapping styles there's different play styles. Uh, I think the map list does a really good job of uh, portraying all of those different styles, and I think you're going to find that you know you're going to be able to tap into um, different skill sets and you know just some different things that maybe we haven't seen in the QuakeCon tournaments. I think you're going to maybe find that someone other than devastation and jake hist has a chance at winning because of that so that's exciting in itself like dime we'll said $1500 um could go see up
1: about that. yeah <laughs> we it still will see about yeah and i'm not talking about the prize but we'll see if anyone
0: devastation uh, enters the game oh sure yeah <laughs> i mean i say that now but you we know. still like we still have maps he
1: knows, and that's a problem.
0: <laughs> so do do you want to go through the map list? Like okay, so there's um uh, okay,
1: Moo2D. Uh which is uh almost as classic as some of the picks uh that are played all the time. It's just Kind of like those are top five. Moo2D would be in everyone's top 10, I would guess, which makes it much less played in the end. But everyone still knows it. It's a map by Tok, and it's from, I guess, 2004, four, five, And basically, it's a it's a small map centered around SSG and trying to get the BFG. That's about it. And it's quite, like, it, it has two uh, levels of height. So it's not as, uh, a simplistic one-level linear map uh, uh, like the Twangos are. So what's next? Dweller to map 11. Well, that's, a, that's probably the most complex map uh, that's in the classic rotation. It's a, it's a really complex, small but highly vertical map. Uh, so, like a lot of people like it for the brain play.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's definitely not your Dwango five map seven, right? I mean, you're not for someone like me. I have to tell a story about Dwell, Dweller Two Map Eleven. Um, I was playing Jakist, and I was winning. I think I was beating him like thirty eight to twenty. Something ridiculous, like you've never seen it before, you'll never see it again type of thing. And he just went on this run, and he ended up beating me, like 50 to 41. So he he went on a 30 frag run, and I only got three. Um, and it's all because of brain play. I think it's the best, it's my favorite dual map, so I think it's the best inclusion. But um, I think it's cool to include a brain map like that, brain play map like that.
1: Yeah, it's a map where you can easily like set yourself to dominate the map. You get uh, a powerful position, and then uh, you hunt down the the player who just can't uh, get a foothold in the map, spawning over and over. But you have to be good enough to to make that thirty frag run. I mean, uh, like where these decisions.
0: Uh, purely out of you and dime playing duels? Well we played we played some duels on a few of them. Um I don't think we had to play duels on Moo2D or King One, but we definitely played Peric 2 map ten. Uh we played Saskatoon and also Uptight DM map eight. And they were good games. I mean they were they're interesting. It's it's cool because I think for us we hadn't really played those maps before, so we kind of learned them on the fly and um, Right, yeah. So so
1: you mentioned King, that's another classic. That's a nineteen ninety-seven map, I think. So yes. just just slightly younger than the, the old school classics. And that's a heavy BFG map, but also kind of standoffish. It also features, like, it has, it has uh, parts where it goes heavily spawn-fraggy, and then it has, like, the brain play parts where you have to uh, kind of smoke the other guy out of defensive positions. So that's a map Europeans really like. Europeans use this map as one of the top five maps in, in all the big map pools. It, Europeans don't exactly uh prefer SSL2 like maybe times have changed now that the old scene is is basically gone but back in the day it was king over SSL2
3: yeah and the three old school maps like three was picked on purpose because there's going to be a banning a ban and a pick system that the players can take advantage of And we didn't want it so that a player would be able to play two old school maps. So in this case, like you can get your one old school map, but you are going to, you would have to be able to win on two newer maps to, or at (laughs) least one newer map to take the series. Like you couldn't win on a King one and a Moo 2D, like if you had them banned out. Right. That's that's pretty clever.
1: So we get the f- one of the first new maps is one that we actually haven't mentioned yet. It's idea. That's an Alex Max map, and a uh, I- I- Kek Award winner, <laughs> by the way. And that's a that's a pretty like uh, cerebral map that tries to emulate Dwango uh, Five Map One style, but it's also smaller more condensed so it's like faster paced i guess that's how i would describe it and
3: And what we found while we were playing is that the uh the single shotgun takes like a bigger priority than on like many other maps in that you can get these long-range duels that are taking place where like just the normal sg can be used very effectively
1: right yeah because uh from what i my experience is, oftentimes you don't even have enough time to to grab a powerful weapon. You will just have to use the s g you get on the spawn
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's the perfect map for that too i mean the the perfect map to experience that kind of i mean the s g is not necessarily a common weapon that you would run to in a duel because it does less damage but I think that map lends itself to that kind of gameplay where you're kind of sniping at each other, uh, and you're just in these long-range gunfights. So I think it's a really interesting map to include. Then uh, th- you mentioned already the
1: Saskatoon map, and I will just say that uh, I don't have any memory of the Counter-Goat maps, <laughs> so I will just assume this is uh this is a my house map of uh, Dimes House. It's Rock King's house.
3: But <laughs> 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 so, um we had a tournament, a a CGI tournament with Doom Twid, where we had uh different members that were playing, and it also included Demon Sphere, Rest of Soul. And um pretty much in each of the series, Saskatoon got picked, because it just ended up being uh arguably the I'd say the strongest dual map out of CGI and it ended up also being used in the finals and everything. And it just, um, it just feels like this classic Rock King map that uh, is, it's, it's got some verticality to it with the BFG and also going up the elevator, but it's a wide kind of horizontal map where you can make use of the sides and uh, some clever hiding places. I'm just glad it's not the map with the conveyors. That's you all I'm asking me. for. Right? <laughs> I don't think that fit. <laughs> Maybe next time. Okay, but next we have uh,
1: Peric 2 map 10. Peric 2 is a map set by Hobo Master and it's a good one. It's like uh, a blend of classic design but with like a heavy arena band. So
0: retro modern?
1: Retro modern, yes, that would be it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh it's like Peric One got got a kickword as well. Peric two I I didn't think it was as as good as the first one overall. Like there were Good maps, and there there were maps that I didn't like. So uh, I believe you guys picked one of the better ones. I will
0: just trust in you. <laughs> well, hopefully, I mean, I think that's kind of that's Hobo Master style is to pick the, uh, or I should say, is to map the simple, kind of straightforward, more old school design map, but then detail it like it's you know something oh, out yeah, of yeah this one this is this is straight yeah. out of exec
1: <laughs> yeah yeah th- this is this is going to be really frenetic that's a that's a tiny map
0: yeah so i think the map list as a whole kind of has uh a really wide variety of playstyles i mean you have something like like dweller 2 map 11 like we talked about is it can be very uh, standoffish, you know, a lot of brain play. You've got something like King 1, where you try and flush the other player out, and then you have Pyrrhic 2, Map 10, where it's going to be complete complete chaos. So I think there's a really solid group of maps here. And we did, uh, Dime did a good job of picking maps from different eras so that we don't have to sit there and play the same maps over and over again, which... I detest having to do that because how are you going to ever, ever in this world beat JKIST at Judas 23? Ever. How is that ever going to happen? It's never going to happen to me. So I I feel much better about beating, (laughs) trying to beat somebody on Uptight DM Map 8 or Saskatoon than I would about trying to beat somebody on Judas 23. So I think it's a really cool tournament. Um, I wish. or I should say I hope that a lot of people also find it to be kind of an innovative set of maps because I think every kind of dual tournament like this of this size and this magnitude um, really kind of tend to focus on the classic maps and there's been so many good maps that have been made over the years so uh, it's cool to see that that kind of creeping in a little bit
1: Oh, by the way, I, I just noticed uh, yeah, we haven't spoken about for this little gem in the rules, uh, traditional duel, first to 50 kill, kills wins, or highest kill count at the end of 20 minutes. So there we go. No no,
0: 55-minute duels. I, no, and I think that was done on purpose, right?
1: Yeah. I, I don't think any of these maps is actually... Well, Dweller, yeah. I can definitely see uh, someone hitting time limit on Dweller. Other than that, these maps are short, short at first. Of course, unless we're talking uh, some really crazy people like Ocelot and Mortalogy. They had that famous uh, duel on King One where they didn't move for seven minutes, just stared at each other and, and <laughs> just. Yeah, that's each not going to happen here. <laughs>
3: Well, that's that's what we're trying to avoid with that. Is by giving a 20 minute time limit, then it um, you have a goal to kind of strive for in the end. But I, I would say a second decision behind that is. It, we're going to be casting the games and the qualifiers and the finals. And it's just like, if you have a two out of three set and you have 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, if that's all going to the max, that's an hour for a series. But if you have the, say the odd set out and you're in round one and one group goes for two and a half hours, your entire bracket is messed up. Yes. I agree with definitely. I
1: agree with that. And if someone's worried about, they can always, uh eliminate the the longest ones, which would be probably dweller and king ah, but who knows dweller for sure i've seen I've seen uh thirty minutes thirty minute plus duels on dweller between like two two very defensive players
0: oh yeah i mean it's to me it's the ultimate defensive map i mean, you just kind of wait i think you can wait until somebody um becomes impatient. And then Which,
1: you- yeah, that could be pretty interesting, like a change of dynamic or usual uh, weight and bait on dweller, because at some point someone will be, you know, trailing, and the time will be ticking, so they will have to make those frags up, and they will have to start rushing in, so it will be an interesting change of pace on that map.
0: Well, something I learned from listening to the podcast that Devastation did with Motherload is the way that he looks at playing people, where he will adapt the other player to one play style, where maybe he'll be really aggressive for eight frags. And so somebody gets used to that, and then all of a sudden, the other player is getting really aggressive too, like expecting Dev to be like that, and then he'll kind of slow it down and... Kind of play mind games with them for a little bit, and they're kind of, you know, kept off guard, and they're not sure what to do, and they try to adjust to him, and it's really about controlling the pace of the game, and I think uh, I think Dweller Two Map Eleven is kind of the perfect map for that, and so, then Devastation plays Chewy, and Chewy just laughs it off, just beats yeah, him I mean, anyway, yeah.
3: <laughs> and I don't think this is the first tournament to have time limits. Like, did it did not. The QuakeCon that went on this year had time limits.
1: Uh, the first it one, more certainly it did. did, and yeah, this one probably did as well. Uh, yeah, it did because it did. Uh,
0: I remember playing D five M seven in the match that I lost, and it was like a twenty five twenty three game. We didn't even get anywhere near it because we were just like playing way off of each other. So mm-hmm. there's definitely a strategy that gets involved when you have a time limit, depending on the map hmm yeah and actually like that was uh
1: the first uh quake tournament had like uh the time limit hit in the finals on Dwango five map one and there was like Jake is tying it in the last second that's right
0: yeah you <laughs> should put something like that into the rules what happens when there's a tie uh just
1: a tiebreaker <laughs> Tiebreaker frag, golden frag, however want you, to, you want to call it, it sh- it, sh- it shouldn't go to two ties. That's that's a nonsense. You are shoot to playing out. to one kill.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Not no. one,
3: like one hundred. Like yeah, the, it, it's as bad as the tiebreaker in Jeopardy, where like Alex every map than like one every, question.
1: <laughs> every map has a has the shoot arena copied next to each other, and when the time limit hits. The players are teleported to that arena, so it just continues straight into <laughs> that one frag you know, uh,
3: gunfight. Uh, you take advantage of that. You have the BFG at the end, and you fire it uh, <laughs> yeah. on the far side. You just well, but you're blast, facing the yeah. other guy.
1: What if what if he has a faster weapon?
2: <laughs> they
0: both so die. I'm adding, I'm adding this- this to the rules right now. We're gonna go tiebreaker into shoot dot wad. Instead <laughs> of health packs, they will be invulnerability. We'll <laughs> In see. Timing,
1: timing out who, who time who <laughs> drops the invulnerability first.
0: Yes. <laughs> so yeah, there will be uh, there will be four qualifiers to make it to the finals. Uh, I can give you the dates right now. They're all on Saturdays. So it's February fifteenth, twenty 29th. The final qualifier is March 7th and the big the big deal event should be Saturday March 14th. Oh, that is have, that and I'm very excited for this, I have to say. We have a February
1: 29th. Oh, I didn't realize. <laughs> oh yeah, the the server policies. Server um, policy, yes. That's that's always a, a big issue. So we we will try to uh, like balance it, uh, Europe versus America, and uh, uh, Inter America, East versus West Coast. But in the end, uh, we will probably have to go with something that will not be entirely fair to everyone. Probably there will be like a neutral server for uh, especially for like tiebreakers. If that has to be done. How do
0: you actually want to do this? That's that's we well, might I want to redo this <laughs> this segment. I think that uh, having the player's location is gonna be a big deal, and then you just kind of pick You can do it in mean, a simple way where you have someone ping you have two people ping a server and whichever one has the most, you know, the closest ping and that's where you I'm sure okay. Can. Okay. Or you okay. could do the but, points way, right? Where yeah. You give... but
1: if if it's a if it's a, a French person and an East Coast person,
0: there will be nothing. that will be like fair for both of them. I think there's a submarine in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that
1: Dude, fucking ocelot. He he had this I, crazy idea that if like uh, he's playing uh frenchies that he didn't want to play them in germany on lap because uh that was still giving even though they were everyone was pinging the lowest like the the cumulative ping was the lowest but the french people would get like uh, 15 milliseconds advantage over him because he had really good internet so so it wasn't like he was uh, you know, playing it from a back of a moose or whatever. But he really wanted to find a server that where the players would be completely tied ping-wise. So he made them play in fucking Iceland. Because everyone would have 80 ping in Iceland. Like, he triangulated a position where they would have the same ping. But that's complete nonsense. I mean, he actually, like, pulled ropes to get a server in Iceland. That makes no sense to me.
0: Well, I'll, I'll tell you right now, we won't be doing that.
1: <laughs> if, if it's actually, if it comes down to, uh, you know, you can always find middle ground in, in America. Between the coast. Uh, but if it comes down to Europe and America, you could probably have, like, you know, home field servers and then, hmm, how do you resolve the tiebreaker? That's the big issue. And it could be either they, as as is written in the rules, either they flip coin uh, it could be whoever had the frag advantage, I guess, like like total frag count higher, or it could be a neutral server, but you won't get. I think
0: a neutral that. server is probably the the way to go on that one, especially when it comes to something involving money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but but
1: we might, you know, you might have to. Uh, Use the first week to test this out and and like if it if it works, use it for the final tournament if it doesn't uh, use something else for the final tournament because the final tournament is going to matter and if it's right. going to go down to someone whining over a higher ping because it's it just and it will it might influence the the outcome and then someone will get like several hundred dollars more because of that, then suddenly it matters.
3: Oh, absolutely. But, you know, you you try to do the best that you can for an online tournament. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. that is one and of that, the weaknesses of an online tournament versus yeah, a yeah. Man, admittedly.
1: We, we've always struggled with this. It's always been a struggle. But I'm saying, like, it shouldn't be like, oh, yeah, it's just it. It is what it is. Someone will just get lucky. So, yeah, we should put kind of like uh, uh, a testing process maybe into it. Like So, so maybe like in the first week.
0: Uh, the first see, qualifier, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. first
1: qualifier, see if it works. If it doesn't, change it.
0: Whatever. Like, I think like, that's fine. And I think it's okay to be transparent about that, too. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Qualifier one, we're going to do it this way. Qualifier two, we're going to do it this way. By the time we like, get to the last one. We, we don't need to like completely experiment with, with it. Like like
1: now the qualifier two will use this method even though we think it's it's shitty. Uh, but we want to test it. No, if if like pick the best one we think will work best for in the first qualifier. If it works, just roll with it. If it doesn't, change it.
0: Like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and so the the nitty-gritty, um, it will be run out of the MDF server. I think, uh, I think we have a pretty good system in place in terms of getting people highlighted and kind of the organizational part of that. So <clears throat> you'll be able to sign up there. I'm going to post it on several forums, so the information will be available to everyone. Yeah, uh, we're going to try to get uh, some people down. Definitely Motherload's going to be streaming some games. If we cross our fingers and uh maybe pay a little bit of money we can get Jahar to stream um that would be cool but yeah i mean i think we i think we kind of nailed this tournament mm-hmm. i think it's a mm-hmm. really cool idea um i have to say i was surprised that that uh i have to give credit actually to to Wartorn did you not bring it up to Wartorn about wanting to run something and he kind of connected you with us i mean that was that was pretty cool i felt i, f- I felt a little special that that we were asked to assist in running this.
3: Yes, uh Wartorn was the neutral party in this and, uh suggesting like a a multiplayer tournament after QuakeCon and then he uh, um, he sent me over to you too.
1: Dime, now that we've we've covered all of this, I would like to uh you know Wish you good luck for your upcoming s- s- live speed run. You will be doing on the next GDQ, which will which will happen uh, before this episode will be released. So this will this is kind of like time loop weirdness. People will be hearing this from the future, no, the past. I don't know. Uh, so you will be running sigil, right?
3: Yeah, decided to submit sigil for AGDQ twenty twenty because uh, right after that we saw Romero was releasing a new unofficial sequel episode to the Ultimate Doom. It's like hell yeah, unofficial, this. unofficial. Right, uh, have unofficial. you
1: seen? <laughs> have you seen Bethesda? Net? Fuck, I'm chilling for the a corporation right now. They they actually like by Christmas they they made it uh quote unquote official uh uh, new special port from the uh, their launcher
3: yeah that's going to be with the slayers collection i think and then they're putting like add-ons to that so it's like i don't know if it's official or if it's unofficial but like the sigil speed run like when we went through the maps it it seemed really good. There's some fun tricks. And it's uh, the longest of any episode in like Ultimate Doom. It's definitely longer than 1 through 4.
1: Speaking of uh, special tricks, yeah. Uh, let's say you had a strong opinion and you went with uh, version 1.1, 1. 1, right?
3: Yeah, it's 1.12 reasons. When I submitted, it was still 1.1. 1. 1 because submissions were done before September. And in 1.2, there's uh, two tricks that you can no longer do. Um, So I think 1.1 is just more hype for the audience. It'll be, it's the more interesting of the two, in my opinion.
1: For speed running is like crazier tricks, even though Romero literally took them out to screw with zero master.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't understand the decision in just that, like when we're routing and figuring out a run is in that version, it was organic in everything that we figured out. And it looking at the patch notes, it did seem kind of aimed at zero master. I don't think it was done out of malice. I don't know. In any way. But I just think there's so few uh, people who are going to make use of these tricks in that there's, you know, there's glitches in games where you can get out of walls and there might be like a, a simple way to do it where patching that out makes sense for the audience. But like these tricks, if you're not doing like a precise stray 50 in this position to get x amount of momentum it'll never work so a uh, new player just going through it they won't find it for the record i really
1: think that the meth for jump over the bars should have stayed
3: in there that was so cool <laughs> oh yeah it's it's a sick trick um but i think R- romero's chill about the things like i we're showing off his episode on a big stage. I can't see him being frustrated with that. And I have no (laughs) intentions of being salty about it on stage. It's just going to say, like, using version 1.1, move on. For the tricks. You can say that. For the tricks. Yes.
1: (laughs) Okay, so, well, good luck with the run. That's... uh, I I know you, you... won't have hard time actually like it's you already said that you already have like the the chill demeanor and it's rta so it's not such a big deal if 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 you just reload
3: (laughs) hey even if i went over estimate it's not the end of the world um have you ever gone over the estimate no, I haven't. I probably should have been the first Botonia oh, run. So I so think you the first need, you run, the be, estimate was too easy. Yeah.
1: You need to, you <laughs> need to, you know, protect your perfect score there. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think it's more respectable to just do the runs in the first place rather than just to not do it mm-hmm. at all, even if there can
0: potentially be failure. Otherwise, you do nothing in your life. Right. Well, so so looking forward, past the tournament, past the sigil RTA, what is in your future? What what do you have coming up that we can look forward to?
3: Coming up, there's a huge Doom release that's going on March 20th. So uh, I might be running Doom Eternal and Ultra Nightmare attempts. Ultra Nightmare, if it's in the game, will you? Will you be like
1: participating in the hunt for first uh, Ultra Nightmare Run or whatever? Like, what what's the
3: next new challenge? Like, will you be seriously competing? We'll give it a try, but I think the mm-hmm. strategy is to distract Zero Master and get him on to some other game, and then we have a shot. <laughs> Like, but he, he, even, he, so even even if say I don't take first place, uh Draco and Zero Master had a serious race to the first completion in Doom twenty sixteen. So if we see yeah, I,
1: I, I the wanted same to mention thing happen
3: Drac- with Eternal. Like,
1: like if you if you want if you're talking about distracting people, you need to distract Dr-
3: <laughs> Yeah, definitely. But uh Doom Eternal and then from then on um some casual gaming. I'm in a WoW guild right now and just doing Classic WoW for some reason, but just doing that and work.
1: Chill gaming. What a, what a wonderful prospect. No stress life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Well, it's been a real pleasure to have you on. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. And uh, On behalf of Dew and Motherload, thank you very much.
3: Oh, it was awesome to be here. Thanks thanks for having me.